We're going to be uh, continuing uh, in the book of Luke this morning. As I was thinking about this passage and uh, the man and woman involved uh, in this passage that we're about to read about, I was reminded of a acquaintance of mine. He's a pastor uh, I know not super well, but well enough to be Facebook friends. And so I've kept up with his life through that. And not this past Thanksgiving, but the pa- Thanksgiving before, uh, he was riding his bike with his kids and on a trail they'd ridden numerous times. And um, his bike, he lost control of his bike, fell off his bike, and got seriously injured. Uh, lost the use of his legs. Um, was in the hospital for weeks and then went straight from the hospital to a rehab clinic uh, in Atlanta where he was there for three or four months or so and made a lot of progress. Uh, and, and one of the neat things about social media and GoFundMe is you kind of get to see uh, in real time like a- answers to prayer and, and people's generosity. And so it's, it's been encouraging to see uh, videos they'll post uh, of him kind of regaining some uh, functionality, uh, walking with an aid. Uh, they got a car that he'll be able to use soon. You know, I don't know how they, they, they fitted it to where he can do it all with his hands. And people have given a lot of money, and then they've had concerts. Um, and yet, he needs a lot of medical care still. Uh, he has four kids. They're young. Uh, his wife has to work, has always worked, but, but now ha- has, to, has to bear the brunt of the family's income. And, and this past week, she posted an update and said, we've had so many amazing things happen to us and so many amazing gifts, and I hate asking for help. I hate coming across as desperate, but we need help now. She's working three days a week, and on those three days, they had a nurse come in, and that nurse was no longer able to come and they didn't have the funds to pay for another nurse. They didn't know who else they were going to get. And she's saying, I can only bear so much. Uh, our kids need rides to school. My, my husband needs medical care. Each day he's regaining functionality, but there's still a long way to go. And right now I'm asking for help. Now. We need it now. This is this past Tuesday she posted that. And, and I was reading this passage th- this week. And it's, it's, it's two people in kind of similar situations. Uh, you see two desperate people in the passage we're about to read. This man named Jairus and this woman whose name we're not told. But, but, but Jairus has a daughter who's 12 years old and, and who is about to die. We know he's desperate. He's a ruler of the synagogue. A lot of the rulers of the synagogue didn't like Jesus, but Jairus is desperate. He comes to Jesus and throws himself at Jesus' feet. I need you to help my daughter now. She's dying. Uh, and then we also meet this woman. Verse 43, we're told she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That, that's, that's the same age as Jairus' daughter is about to die. 12 years. And we're, we're not told why or how, but I mean, if you've ever given blood, you know, they tell you, like, hey, don't do stuff for, you know, a few hours. Uh, and oftentimes you don't want to because you feel weak. This woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 12 years of feeling tired, of feeling weak. Not only in that, in that culture, she would have been ceremonially unclean. So physically exhausted, socially marginalized, isolated. She's been waiting a long time 
for healing, and she's coming to Jesus. We don't know how long this man's been waiting, but he is desperate. Both of these people need help, and they need help now. And their lives are about to intersect. And what we're going to see in this passage, this passage gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to wait on Jesus, uh, what it looks like to trust Jesus in the face of cynicism and doubt, and then lastly, what it looks like to trust and rest in our unhurried and generous King. And so we're going to kind of look at those things through these people. We're going to look first at the woman. We're going to look at Jairus. And then we're going to look at Jesus' response to both of them. So I'm going to read for us Luke 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at his feet, Jesus implored him to come to his house. Sorry, he implored him to come to his house. For he had, only, he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and, and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he said, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is living and active. It's true. And Lord, it can pierce through the hardest of hearts. It can pierce through our sin and self-deception. And Lord, we needed to do that this morning. So Father, we ask that you would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see wondrous things in your word. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Uh, in the passage we're reading this morning, it follows a section where Jesus has just calmed a storm. And, and then right after that, he goes to the Gerasenes and heals a demon-possessed man. And you'll notice at the beginning of our passage, it says, now Jesus returned. And so now he's returned to, to the region of Galilee, where he's already well known. And because of what's just happened in, in the passages previously, he just healed a man. And that man, we're told, goes all over the place, talking all about Jesus. And so Jesus is returning to a place where he's really well known. 
There's expectations of him, and those expectations have only risen since he's done amazing miracles. And so we're told he's greeted by a crowd. We don't know how big this crowd is, but in the midst of that crowd, verse 42, verse 41, verse 42, this man named Jairus comes to Jesus and throws himself at Jesus' feet and asks that he come and heal his only daughter for she's about to die. In verse 42, we're told that Jesus goes with him. Now, at this stage, uh, we notice a crowd uh, they're walking with Jesus. We don't know if they've walked 20 feet or a quarter mile, but, but at some point in this walk, Jesus notices that someone has touched him. And, and he brings this up, and, and, and Peter says, Lord, there's people pressing in on you. And, and so we don't know if, if the path they're in is narrow, if, if they're in the middle of a town and there's just a n- narrow corridor. But, but the scene you get this is kind of a chaotic scene. It's an urgent scene. I mean, this man, to throw yourself down at someone's feet, you have to be really desperate, especially if you're the ruler of a synagogue. This man is desperate. Some of these people are just de- desperately wanting to see Jesus, probably for the same woman this woman wants to see Jesus. Maybe some of them want to be healed. Some of them probably have heard about this man's daughter. This man was well-known. He would have been really well-known in that community. Some of these people just heard about Jesus and they want to see him. But but whatever it is, whatever their motivation is, lots of people are there and lots of people are surrounding Jesus and they're walking with him to to not like a girl who's kind of sick, but to a girl that's dying and dying imminently. And on the way there, Jesus just stops and says, someone touched me. Can you imagine Jairus' anxiety at this point? Can you imagine, I'm getting anxious even talking about it. Can you imagine the anxiety of just of, of the people and the shock? When Jesus stops and says, someone touched me, it's almost comical in a way. I mean, Peter's response in verse 45, he says like, the crowds are pressing in on you, Jesus. Like, yes, someone touched you. There's probably like 20 people that are touching you right now. And we're on the way to, to heal someone, not, not just someone, but the daughter of a very influential person. You get the impression in Peter's voice like, what are you doing? Yes, someone touched you. A lot of people touched you, but that, that's not a reason to, to stop. And then Jesus not only stops to ask the question, but, but he actually waits and allows this woman to tell her story. I get stressed reading this. I was also convicted because I think, how often do I live my life rushed? How easy is it to get stressed and frazzled over such smaller things? And how often do I miss hurting people in the midst of my busyness? How, and maybe more than that, how often do I hurt people because I'm in a rush, maybe because I'm busy. Think about the times you've spoken harshly to people. Uh, Think about the times you've acted most impulsively. It's often when we're in a rush. 
It's often when we're hurried. And it's amazing and convicting just to see Jesus in the midst of this crazy situation. Stop and pay attention to a woman that is desperate and hurting. But you still have to ask, like, why does he do this? I mean, the, Jesus, if you read the Gospels, Jesus heals people in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's really quick. Uh, sometimes uh, they're not actually looking to be healed, and Jesus goes to them. Read John 5. He shows up at the pool of Bethsaida. But here, this woman's looking for him, but he stops. He takes a moment to stop. Jesus is not asking the question, who touched me, to gain information. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all. He perceives power went out from him. Why is he stopping? Why does he want this woman to tell her story? Well, we don't know the exact reason why, but we do know that Jesus thought this woman's story needed to be told. He stops and allows her and gives her space to do that at a time when there was a lot of more important things to be done. And there was a lot of pressure to do more things. He stops and allows her to tell her story. Her story needed to be told. I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. It's one of the reasons we gather in small groups as Christians. One of the reasons neighborhood groups exist. We need to hear each other's stories. And we need to hear each other's stories, not just, you know, about past victories or past successes and past deliverances from sin and suffering. But Jesus asks this woman to tell her story in the midst of her desperation. It can be tempting to think that people may not need to hear what's going on in your life. That, that you might be a burden to them. Um, that your story may not sound significant, that you may come across as weak, or maybe the, the, the biggest diss in our society, needy. Who wants to be seen as needy? This woman is incredibly needy. This man is incredibly needy. And Jesus gives her space to tell her story. And, and not just because he wants to hear it. That crowd needed this woman's story. They needed to hear it. Paul gives that image of the body of Christ. The eye can't do with the hand, you know. The hand can't do with the eye. Not only do you need to hear other people's story, but, but do you know that if you're a believer, that people need to hear your story, that your story matters and is important, regardless of how impressive or unimpressive it is to you? The Lord will use our stories in the lives of people. It's been good for me to see this pastor's story since he was injured about 15 months ago till now. It's actually encouraged me and convicted me. I mean, it's encouraged me in so many ways. It's been amazing to see the outpouring of, of money and time and resources and people showing up and building ramps to their house and donating a truck. And it's also been convicting because I've seen them ask for help in ways like they did this past week. And in other times past, I think, oh gosh, that sounds really like urgent and they need help now. And like, I feel awkward for them. 
I have to ask myself, why do I, that's so dumb. They're actually living the posture of the Christian life. One of the things we acknowledge in the Christian life is that we need a savior and that we need community, that we are not omnicompetent, that we have limits. And, and, and so when people ask for help, what we view as cringy might actually be the posture of someone who's created in the image of God and is in desperate need of a savior. We need to ask for help. There's another invitation in this passage. There's an invitation to join Jesus and slow down. There's uh, a book I read this past year. Some of you may have read it. If not, I commend it to you. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. My students have heard me talk about this. We're doing a book study on it. Um, even just the title of it is, is at least a, a little bit intriguing. Uh, how, do we, how, how can we eliminate hurry? Well, if we're going to do it, we have to do it ruthlessly. We are a hurried people. And there's a lot of great things in that book that's written by a pastor uh, in Oregon. But one of the things he actually encourages us to do is to actually physic, take time to actually physically slow down. When we are like locked in, AirPods in, I got to go from here to there, it is really easy to miss people and it's really easy to continue to be stressed out. One of the things he says is, what would it look like for us to actually physically slow down when we walk and take note of what God has given us and to take note of the people that God has placed in our lives? That, that so goes against our view of life and our view of the Christian life it's really easy to, to think, and it's good. It's good to have a, a plan for your day. That's a great thing to do. But oftentimes, we view interruptions to that plan as blockades to ministry. Like, if I'm going to be growing as a Christian, I'm going to be faithful, or if I'm just going to be a productive member of society, like, I need to have a plan, and I need to stick to it. And oftentimes, our most shameful moments when that plan gets interrupted, or we get distracted. I think as you follow Jesus's life, interruptions are not blockades or hindrances to ministry. Interruptions oftentimes are the ministry. We would love to like schedule out our day. I would. I'm going to cho choose to like exercise patience at like 12 and 3 today. I'm going to take time just to be patient with people. Or I'm going to take time, you know, at certain times to be merciful to people. It's usually not the way it works. Th those opportunities usually come upon us. Jesus gets interrupted all the time. He gets interrupted this time. If you read Mark 10, Jesus healed Bartimaeus, and, and while he and his disciples are leaving on the way to the final Passover, they get interrupted. Uh, we're told in Mark 2, while Jesus is teaching in someone's house, he gets interrupted because someone is so desperate to be healed by Jesus, they lower a man through the roof while Jesus is preaching. The interruptions are the ministry. If you follow Jesus' life, the interruptions don't blockade ministry. They are the opportunities Jesus uses for ministry. Jesus invites us to slow down. He invites us to wait. He invites us to tell our story as this woman does. But this woman's not the only person that has to wait in this story. And the invitation to her is not the only invitation to us in this passage. Look at this man. You read in verse 41 through 43, uh, he's desperate. 
His 12-year-old daughter, we're told, is his only daughter. That's not an insignificant uh, detail. It's his only daughter, and she's dying. And then they get distracted by the woman. And finally, Jesus begins to make his way to their house. And in verse 49, someone comes out and says, don't trouble him. The daughter's already dead. Like, hey, it's over. Don't bother Jesus. Your daughter's dead. This is, it's not worth it. It's really interesting what Jesus' response is. Verse 50, Jesus doesn't respond and say, no, 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 I'm not done. And no, 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 you don't need to disregard me. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? He says, do not fear. It's a really interesting response to someone whose greatest fear has already been realized. Their fear was that the child was going to die. And she did die. And then Jesus says, he doesn't say, don't be cynical, because that's what, they, that's what they're doing. They're responding with cynicism. They're responding by saying, don't, don't, it's not even worth it. Don't go and ask Jesus. What does he say? He doesn't say, don't be cynical. He says, do not fear. Do you realize that a lot of your cynicism is actually rooted in fear? It's kind of, it can be scary to hope. And, and for some of you, you've hoped for things and you haven't gotten them. And so that, that fear to hope can sometimes turn into just then resignation. And maybe that resignation turns into resentment. And then that breeds cynicism. And we begin to think, oh, this didn't happen. Now it probably won't ever happen. And it's probably because God's just fed up with me. Or this is just my lot in life. And it's so easy to become cynicism. Cynical. Because oftentimes we think, well, I can only see bad. Therefore, the only things that must be going on in this world, it must all be bad. Because right now, all I can see and feel is bad and scared and resentful. Therefore, there must be no reason to hope. A few years ago, I read a book. I was putting it generously. I read most of a book, maybe a third of it, on D-Day. Um, it was very detailed. Stephen Ambrose, uh, lots and lots of details on D-Day. And, but what was interesting, at least in the first third of the book, was uh, the, the different viewpoints of the people participating in that operation. You know, it, it was land, air, and sea. They left the British coast. Uh, there were planes. And then, of course, the, the scene that pops in our mind a lot, a lot of times is, is, is th those boats storming the beaches of Normandy. And, and he talks about afterwards the people that survived that, the different correspondences they were hearing. And if you've seen those images of those boats landing on D-Day and those soldiers, they were entering a massacre. And, 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 and from those boat drivers, the, 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 they, they were radioing back, we are getting slaughtered. What, what are we doing? And they thought, that we have just entered, the. this is the worst planned military operation ever. But then you hear different correspondents, different dispatches from the air, and they are seeing these bombs getting dropped, paratroopers landing. They're seeing Nazis fleeing from the beach even and from beyond, and they're thinking, this is working. We are, we're pushing the Nazis back. But on the ground, they couldn't see that. They're thinking, we're getting slaughtered. But the pilots had a much different perspective 
They were able to offer a different perspective because they saw more. Could it be that God knows more about your situation and about the future than you and I do? Is it possible that you and I don't see the whole picture? I think we can probably all look back, or maybe there's a moment even recently where we thought, okay, I thought this was happening. I thought this was awful, or maybe you thought something awesome was happening, and it ended up being totally different. Oftentimes, we don't see the whole picture. The invitation here is to come to Jesus, to come to God, and not to, not to just ignore your fear or whatever, but to come to him and say, Lord, this is, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm seeing. But I've read enough of your word to know that, that maybe I don't see everything. Lord, you know all. And, and so the question we, we may be asking um, is not uh, when will God give me what I want, but what might God be teaching me right now? The question I want to ask in the midst of all this is, hey, Lord, I want this, and, and when can I have it? But if God is all-knowing and he's good and he's wise, we are actually able to ask, Lord, what might you be teaching me in the midst of this? How does Jesus respond? For both of these people, Jairus and this woman come to Jesus and and they're, they're required to wait. Different lengths of time for sure, but they're coming to trust Jesus. Both of them, for both of them, waiting involves trust. It involves trusting that, that God is good. Uh, it involves trusting that, that maybe telling our story and admitting our uncleanness will not drive people away or drive God away. They're both required to trust in the midst of fear and waiting. And in the end, God gives them more than they could possibly ask or imagine. If you read the end of this passage, what does Jairus get? He he, he doesn't just get healing for a girl that's about to die. He gets a resurrection. Child arise, verse 54. This woman comes to Jesus and she's hoping, hey, I'm going to touch him, get healed, get out. I can be physically well. And she gets that. Jesus physically heals her and he gives her actually much more than that. Look what he says in verse 48. He doesn't just physically heal her. For the first time in scripture, he calls someone daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman who had enjoyed no peace, this woman who had been ostracized, physically exhausted, isolated, doesn't just become healed, she actually becomes a daughter of the living God. Why? Because Jesus' garments are powerful? No, because she came to Jesus in faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Because you trust me, you can have peace. Those who are united to Jesus by faith don't just 
enjoy rosy circumstances all the time. God never promises that. Jesus' life does not, is not marked by those. But he does say we can have peace in the midst of tribulation. That we can come to him and actually have true and lasting peace. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is that can we trust God? Can we trust Jesus at his word? And I think as you see in this passage and see throughout scripture, the answer is yes, for two reasons. One, Jesus is a powerful king who loves to give away power. Some of us don't like the image of Jesus as king because we don't love images of kings in this world. And yet what you see in this passage is Jesus, who has no problem taking on the title of king and taking on the title or descriptor of being powerful, is not a king who hoards power, but a king who gives away power. What does he notice when the woman touches him? I sense that power has left me. And you see that all throughout Jesus' ministry. He hasn't come to take power. He's come to give away power. As Jesus heals this woman, it would have been scandalous for, for Jesus to interact with this woman, much less touch this woman. When this woman touches Jesus, she makes him unclean. And what does she get in response? Cleansing, healing, and fellowship. And the same is true for you and me. All we bring to Jesus is our uncleanness. And what do we get in return? We are cleansed and healed and brought into fellowship. By his stripes, we are healed. We can trust him because Jesus is the, power, is the powerful king that loves to give away power. Jesus is also the resurrected king. It's interesting in this passage, you see this other place in the scripture, uh, the people are laughing. Why are they laughing in verse 53? Because Jesus said she's sleeping. Jesus knows she's not merely sleeping. But because Jesus is a good and powerful king, this girl's death is as powerful as a deep sleep. What we are going through can seem insurmountable to us. It is not insurmountable to Jesus. To Jesus, this girl's death is no more powerful than a strong nap. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We can hope and we can trust Jesus because there is coming a day when those who have died will be awakened as someone awaking, awakened from a nap. And we can trust this king because the king that promises that is also the king that took on flesh and entered into our uncleanness and was actually punished for our uncleanness and was raised on the third day that we might be brought into fellowship with him and not just have fellowship with him, but have a fellowship and a peace that is filled with hope. That death is not the end. That your suffering right now is not the end. In this world, we will face tribulation, but behold, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. We can wait on him. We can trust him. We can slow down with Jesus and we can hope in him because of who he is and what he has done. Let me pray for us. Father, 
We thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are our king. Not a king that hoards power, but a king that gives away power. There's no greater example of that than your work on the cross, Lord Jesus. As you came and received the punishment that we deserve in order that you might give life and give forgiveness to us, a sinful people. Lord, I pray this morning for those in this room that feel far from you, that feel they have no peace or hope. Lord, I pray that you would break through our cynicism, that you break through our boredom. Lord, and remind us of who you are, that we might trust you more and more and live lives of hope. We might slow down and notice others. And we might be filled with the peace of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.